Great to see you here this morning. Uh, my name is Steve Canfield. If you were here last week, then um, we got to know each other a little bit. And I'm looking forward to the privilege of being here with you again today. Take your Bible if you have one there. Turn to Ephesians. You've probably been there a little bit at some point in your life, probably like the last few months. But we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to jump on a, a little uh, comment before I jump into the whole context here. Um, last week, we talked about trust. The importance of being right with God is, first of all, being right with Him until we trust him, but you can't be right with God if you're not right with your fellow man. So we looked at the, uh, the, the vertical last week, we'll look at the horizontal um, this morning and kind of talk about this a little bit. And, and Ephesians chapter four, you all just walk through this as a church, I know, this is all familiar to you. The last two verses of Ephesians chapter four are two verses that as parents, Debbie and I have six children, and, and we probably use this verse more than any other verse when we were going through discipline with them and we'd have a conversation and talk about, you know, what they did. And, and, then, and, and then we'd always say, what does the Bible say about that? Because we wanted them to know that what we were doing was not just giving them our thoughts, but these were just reinforcing biblical truth. And probably these two verses covered most of the conflict that we had with six children. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another. I would say, was that kind? You hit your brother in the face. Well, was, that, was that kind, what you just did? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Father, I pray that you take these next moments that we have together, that where we have not been kind, where we have not been tenderhearted, where we have not been forgiving, Father, forgive us, as we just sang in that, that song, as you have forgiven us. And where we've not shown forgiveness, would you remind us of that, show us that, bring us to brokenness and repentance and obedience. And we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I, I've found some things about forgiveness. I, I, I talk about forgiveness a lot in the meetings that we go into because it's such a, a common problem. And, and forgiveness is something everything wants but not everyone is willing to give. It's, it's amazing how, how demanding we can get when it comes to forgiveness. I've been in uh, hundreds of counseling sessions and I've heard people make some, some statements, things like, um, why don't you just forgive and forget? Like, like it was just a, a, a dial you could just kind of turn off. I, I just wanted to forgive me. How, how can we just get forgiveness? Can't we just move on? And the thing about forgiveness is, is it's a process. I think there's a, a misunderstood concept about forgiveness too. And it's, it's our view of God in the sense that God does not forget our sin. So I know the Bible says that over and over again. Well, as you know, the Bible was not written in English. And, and so the way our, it comes to us, it comes out that God forgets. But the fact is, God cannot forget anything. He's God. It's impossible for us to know something God doesn't know. Here's what it really says. It doesn't say that God forgets our sin. He chooses not to remember it against us. There's a vast difference. He knows it's there. He never pulls out a closet and said, remember when you did this? No, if you've dealt with that, confessed that, he puts it like the East is in the West, never to be pulled out again. But he knows it's there, but he's not going to pull it out of the closet. Now, the problem with us as individuals, we don't have that same ability. We know those things are in the closet. We remember what that person said, what they did. And, and our tendency is every time something comes up that's similar, we pull it out and say, that's the 10th time you've done that. God will never do that. When you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive, and he chooses not to remember it against you anymore. So if you want to be God-like, 
Then we've got to learn how we can do the same thing. You, you can't forget it, but you can live as if it is forgotten. And that's what God does. Now, we don't have the ability to forget. I have a propensity for, to forget. I don't know about you. I, I hate passwords on my computer and stuff. I thought about changing all my password to incorrect. That way, the, the, the computer would always remind me what my password is. Oh, your password's incorrect. Great, thank you. I forgot that, right? Uh, I, does anybody have the problem with, with putting something in a safe place and remembering, forgetting where the safe place is? You know what I'm talking about? And there's just this propensity. I can forget what I'm doing while I'm actually doing it. And, and we have this propensity towards forgetfulness. But when it comes to bitterness, it just seems like we have a real easy time holding on things. And usually that bitterness comes with those we're closest to. I, I was having a conversation with Debbie some time ago, and, and well, it was kind of one-sided, but anyway, and, and, um, and she said at one point, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I thought, that's a funny way to start a conversation. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> but I have said things like that before. The older I get, the less my filter you know, works. You know? and, and so the problem is we, we've said things that, that are very hurtful. And, and we have this, this selective memory. We sometimes only remember the, the bad things. I can, I can tell you the... the, the, the Average points, my, I played basketball in college, I can tell you the average points the lean score on our team scored the year, 50 years ago. But one time, I forgot my anniversary, you know? And, and so that, I'm, I'm glad she's not here right now, but I don't want to remind her of that. But, but, but it's usually something like that in a relationship. Have you ever been hurt? Obviously, we all have. I, I hear stories on top of stories. A few months ago, I was in a church. A man came to me, and, and we'd been to this church uh, a few years earlier for an eight-day meeting, we were back for a, a four-day follow-up, and, and he, he pulled me aside at the end of the meeting and he said, you know, when you were here three years ago, you dealt with the air of bitterness. And I, I, I understood that. About a, a year after you, you left, my mother, who was in her 70s, was ill. My sister called me and said, um, Mom's not going to make it. And so I went to where she was, and she called me over to the bed, and, and, and in my ear... She said to me, she was a widow. She said, in my ear, she said, son, I need to tell you something. The man who you thought was your father all these years was not. I had an affair when we were married, when we were young, and I've never told anybody, but I need to tell you that and ask you to forgive me. And within hours, she passed away. And he said to me, I, I told her she was forgiven. We did her funeral. He said, that was two years ago. He said, I realized this week, I have never grieved the death of my mother. I've held that, that bitterness. I've held that resentment. And you can imagine how, how that rocked his world. And he said, this week, for the first time in two years, I grieved my mother's death. I, I chose to forgive her. And I, I remember saying to him, you know, you could go through your whole life, come to your deathbed, and then have to say to your family, I have just messed up. and I've, I've been bitter all my life. You don't want to end on your dying breath the same way your mother. He said, absolutely not. And I, I, am, I am free of that. And I think some of us are sitting there harboring and holding on to things. And since I am, I'm going to my deathbed with that one. I, I am not going to deal with that. I'm, I'm not going to ask forgiveness for that. And, and you're the one that's losing. The Bible talks about the gall, the bile of bitterness. And some of us are, are wrapped up into that. And I, I want us to look at how we can get free from that. 
Now, having to cover the area of, of bitterness and forgiveness in like uh, these few minutes is like covering nuclear fusion to a college science class. The potential is there, but it takes quite a while to unpack that. I, I, I love science. I, I was a science minor in college, and in nuclear physics, there's a, a, a thing called fission and fusion. Nuclear fission is the splitting of atoms into a nucleus, and, and fusion is a reaction that takes place when, when one or more atomic nuclei comes close enough to form a different atomic nuclei and subatomic particles. And the difference in mass between the two reactants produces and manifests in a huge amount of energy that we call an atomic bomb. And, and I found this. Bitterness is, is like a spiritual atomic bomb. It's like a, a bomb that, that blows up and just explodes all around the people that are affected by us. In, 19, in December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese. It was a surprise attack. You know that. Nine ships were sank. Over 2,400 people died in the, in the mass. Four years later, August 6th, just last Sunday, 1945, the United States dropped the first atomic bomb. They dropped it on a town called Hiroshima. The Japanese refused to surrender, so four days later, they dropped a, we dropped a second bomb on Nagasaki. The, the combined total of those two cities of Nagasaki and Hiroshima is about the same size as the greater Fort Wayne area and the greater South Bend Granger area. That'd be at the same size cities. In that explosion between those two bombs, 140,000 people died instantly. That'd be like everyone in South Bend, everyone in Granger, gone in one day. Can you imagine? We, we, we really had no idea what the effects of an atomic bomb would be. We'd, we'd never, no one ever dropped one before. And as bad as that was, my, my dad was in the occupation troops. This is a picture of, of um, one of those cities afterwards, and my dad was in the group that went in to kind of um, help the Japanese surrender and so forth. And in the next 20 years, we didn't know what was going to happen, all radiation poisoning and so forth. In the next 20 years, another 140,000 people died from the radiation, from the collateral damage. And the fact is, the collateral damage from bitterness is just as damaging as the event itself. And some of us look back and say, yeah, I was hurt five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But, you know, it's in the past. But it has festered and grown in your heart. And the collateral damage of that, you're still reaping the consequence by, by, by the way you deal with your children, the way you deal with your family. And it doesn't get over. I think the, the, the misconception about bitterness is this. I dealt with it one time, it's gone. It doesn't happen that way. It, it's a process. And, and the fact is, if you have had hurtful things in your life, it's not just one time saying, God, thank you. It's a continual thankfulness. Jesus, probably the most famous verse on forgiveness, the disciples are talking to him, and Peter says, how often, how many times should I forgive my brother? I guess he was pretty, pretty, pretty uh, generous this day. He said, how about seven times? If I forgive him seven times. That was important because there was a, a rabbinical law that said you had to forgive three times. That was the law. After three times, you could take someone to court or divorce your wife, whatever, but you had to forgive three times. They legalized everything. So Peter doubles the law, adds one for good measure, and says, how about seven times? I forgive him seven times. Wouldn't that be pretty big of me? And Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times. I say 70 times seven. 490 times. What does that mean? 
That means you're supposed to keep track, and every time someone hurts you, okay, that's a 222nd, 223rd, and on the 491st time, then you can get bitter. Is that what that means? No, it means the breadth of forgiveness is limitless. 490 times a year, 490 times a, a month. It's, every, it, it's not about someone hurting you that many times, because that's not going to happen, but you're going to think about it that many times. And forgiveness is something that happens to ha- has to happen every time the thought comes, every time you remember what that person said, what they did. Again, you choose to thank God. Forgiveness does not happen on a one-time event. It is a process. And the problem is we're not willing, some of us have ever taken the first step, and some of us have said, yeah, I dealt with that, but you can tell there is still resentment, and you clench, clench your fist when you think of what they did to you. Let me explain it like this. All, all of us are walking down a road. We're going to call this uh, Peace Parkway. And there's a time in our life where we're, we're at peace. And at some point, walking down this road, someone comes along insensitive in this highway and they blindside us, they T-bone us at Hurt Corner. All of us have lived at some point in our life at Hurt Corner. Someone said something, done something. And when you come to Hurt Corner... You have one of two choices. Either you let that take you over into the bog of bitterness. If you're a, 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 a fan of, um, what's the book? Yeah, Pilgrim's Progress. Forgot. Anyway, short-term memory. Okay, so anyway, either you get pushed over into the bog of bitterness or you choose to walk down the freeway of forgiveness. And some of us are in bitterness. Some of us are just spinning around and living at Hurt Corner because we feel like we're just getting blindsided all the time. But some have made the choice to, to, to go on, on the freeway. I, I don't know where you're at in that process. But, but I, I hope this morning you'll take some steps in that direction. I was in a meeting in... Uh, in between Fort Worth and Dallas, there's a, a road in the, that goes between Highway 30. And um, Arlington, Texas is on that road. We had a meeting in Arlington, Texas. And there was a lady in that church whose son had been murdered um, in, in a, in, on a street that, that crossed Highway 30. And she, she came and gave a testimony one night. And she said, every time, this has been years now, but, but you just any time you go any place between Dallas Fort Worth, you're on this highway. And she said, every time we come to that intersection where that road is, where my son was killed, he was killed just a few blocks off the freeway to the right. I always look to the left. I always, I always look north. I, I can't look south. And no matter what side of the road I'm on, where we're going, I, I always turn. And it's just a natural reaction. My head just turns because I, I could not accept what took place. She shared this with the church. She said, this week, we came to church tonight on Highway 30. We passed the intersection. And for the first time in years, I looked down that road. And I said, thank you, God. You're, you're still who you are. I trust you. Now, that was victory for her. And she's going to drive past that road probably daily almost in her life. And every time, she's going to have to say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there'll come a point where she'll be more naturally to turn and say thank you than she's turning away trying to ignore that. But some of us have sat there and tried to ignore situations in our life, and it's affecting everything we do. It's affecting. Now, now listen, I, I know you're going to see people drive into your life down, barreling down this road of insensitivity. That They're going to do it from stupidity, from vindictiveness, from their own personal hurt. But all of us have lived at some point at that corner. And at, at her corner, you are one of two people. Either you are the victim or the victimizer. 
Either you're the one at her corner or you're the one that's plowing into somebody else. And, and I want us to look at both of those this morning through both lens, lenses because all of us have either hurt people or are being hurt by people. Both are true. On, on some level, you're being hurt. On some level, you, you've been hurting others. Now, now here, here's the first step in the process. I mentioned last Sunday. But the first step in the process of dealing with bitterness and forgiveness is realizing all bitterness is ultimately directed towards God. If, if you are bitter, it's not at a person. You're bitter at God. We talked about that last week. God is sovereign. What's ever happened in your life has been sifted through his hands, his loving hands, his wise hands. He said, I'm not, bad at, I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at that person. No, you're mad at God. Because God could have stopped it. He allowed that person, that circumstance, that sickness, whatever it was. So the first place you've got to deal with is God. And I gave you a little card. You got a little card when you came in. And there, there are four things there. And one of those is people you need to go back to and ask forgiveness from. The first person you should put on there is God. Just to acknowledge, God, I've been bitter at you because of this circumstance. Your, your starting point to deal with forgiveness and bitterness is to say, God, I've been mad at you, and that was wrong. He's got to be the first person. And we could talk about God's sovereignty for a long time, but I'll tell you, I, I rest in the sovereignty of God. Now, with that, with that as a given, what do we do when we come to Hurt Corner? We're going to look here at Ephesians chapter 4, and, and uh, there, there are a hundred messages in this short passage Many of you could quote this because you've already walked through as a church, through Ephesians. And, and you know the, the first part of the verse of the chapter 4 talks about the unity of the body in the first 16 verses. The next verse through 24 talk about putting off the old man and putting on the new. And then starting at verse 25, he starts getting specific about some things that we should do and that we should not do. So, so how do we have unity in the body of Christ? That's the point of the chapter. How do we do that specifically? This is not quantum physics. It's not nuclear fusion. It's simple math. I think the deep, important things of God's word are pretty simple. We can all get them. And this almost sounds so simple that it sounds silly to even have to say it. But here's relationship math. If you want to have a good relationship, you start by subtracting hurtful actions. Stop doing things that are unkind. You add confessions where you've done those wrong things, you multiply forgiveness 70 times seven and you end up with peace. You wanna have peace in your church, you wanna have peace in your marriage, you wanna have peace in your family, there it is. Stop hurting people, confess what you've done wrong, forgive those that have wronged you and you will have peace. That, that's relationship math. Ever feel like you were just repeating needless commands? Close the door, pick up the towel, don't leave anywhere in the middle of the floor. That's just a wife to her husband. And, and it's sometimes we say over and over again simple things. God says over and over again simple things. And if we would do these simple things, he'd be amazed at how peaceful things could really get. Now, how do we, why don't we, why don't we do this well? This, this uh, account, I saw this, that was good. Um, Jesus talking to the disciples, I tell you not seven, but 70 times seven. One of the disciples says, oh, great, I don't have to forgive. Now I've got to do math. Here's the bottom line. Forgive. Why? Because it's easier than math. Math is hard, right? So stop keeping track. Stop having to write down how many times I'm going to forgive. The point is not seven, the 490. The point is every time it happens. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the solution. Then we're going to talk about the specifics. Here, here, here's the solution. It, it sounds so simple. I shouldn't have to say it, but it's really easy. Stop hurting people. 
We're going to come back and walk through these, but I want you to hear the answer before we talk about the problem. Stop hurting people. Ask forgiveness from those that they've hurt and then choose to forgive those that have hurt you. It is so simple. It's almost like just pick up your clothes, make the bed. But even though it's simple, we don't do it. So, so he does this. He starts putting some handles on that. And, and if you think you can't find something in all three of these that applies to you, you're probably not being honest. So let's look at verse 25. Here's the list that he makes for us as he says, okay, what, what do you need to do to make that happen? Verse 25, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for you're members of one another. So, so the first thing he admonishes us to is stop lying. So as you think through, if you want to reconcile relationships, if you want to have peace, then you've got to look at this, again, two places. One, who have you lied to that you need to go back and ask forgiveness? And secondly, who has lied to you that you've not chosen to forgive? So when was the last time you lied? You said, well, it's just a white lie. What is a white lie? It's, it's still a lie. Well, it was just, it was a half-truth. I remember in high school, I would uh, tell my parents, I'm going to the library. And, and so I would go to the library, I would walk in the library, turn around and walk out, and I'd go do something with my friends. So when I got home, and my parents, if they would have said, did you go to the library? Yeah, went to the library. Now, that was true, but it was a half-truth. A half-truth with intent to deceive is a lie. And if you're saying things that are, that are true, but actually you know in saying those you're manipulating or lying, then you need to go back to people. Probably the first people on your list are going to have to be your family members. Teenage, you're probably going to have to go teenage to your parents and say, Mom and Dad, I've lied to you. I, I said I was doing something. I did it for a moment, but, but I, I knew what you meant. But I just said what I knew you needed to hear to get by. Probably not a teenager. I need to go to his parents and ask forgiveness for, for lying at some point. A husband to a wife. Maybe, maybe you made a promise you didn't keep. I tell you, when my kids, we're growing up, and my kids are growing up, and they would say, can we do such and such? My cop-out was maybe. Now, what I found was maybe to them meant yes. Maybe to me meant no, you know? And, and there was a lot of things that I promised that I didn't really promise them, but in their mind, you said we could do this. I said maybe. Sometimes we have to ask forgiveness for things that were perceived as an offense, and so I got to go, you know, it's obvious I hurt you and I gave you the wrong impression. Would you, would you forgive me for that? Have you ever lied to someone? Or are you bitter because you've been lied to? Is there someone you've got to forgive because they've lied to, to you? They told you they would do something and, and they didn't come through. Maybe your parents lied when they said, till death do us part. And that divorce situation has hurt you and, or you've hurt someone by, by, by breaking that vow. You used to go back and ask forgiveness. I'm not saying you, you, if, you, if you're remarried, you divorce somebody and go back. I'm, I'm just saying you go back and make things right in the past till death do us part. Here's the second one. He says, verse 30 to 26, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So the second thing is, is anger. A lot of the reasons that some of us are in conflict in our homes and our families is because we've flown off the handle. Anger is what you go to bed with. It, 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 the Bible says it's not wrong to be angry. It's anger that you take to bed, anger that, that turns into all kinds of things that resolve, un, the unresolved bitterness. I, I've met people who, who should just wear a shirt that says filled with anger and resentment because they're just advertised by, by the way they are, by the way they look. 
Are, are you angry and bitter and it's spewed out on the people around you? If you have a problem with anger, it's because you've not dealt with bitterness. Anger is an outflow of unresolved hurt and bitterness. And, and so you spew out usually, again, on, on, on the people that you, you love the most. So on your card, write down the people that you have spewed your anger on because you have hurt them. You have blindsided them. Some of you had an angry moment coming to church. Some of you were yelling at people till you got in the church parking lot. All of a sudden you put on your church face, right? And, and so you need to go on the way home and say to your family, listen, coming to church this morning, I was angry. I'd say you people behind the wheel of a car, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, I, I've seen people honking at each other, driving off the church parking lot, right? Maybe you're that person. And maybe you need to say to your family, I have not shown Christ in my anger towards stupid people. I mean, no, just towards people um, that aren't driving right. And, and you need to seek forgiveness from me. You've, you've blindsided them. You're wounding them by spewing out your anger on, on the people around you. Here's a third one. And do not give the devil an opportunity. I'm just gonna call this wrong choices. Don't, give the de- don't open the door to the enemy. I was... Uh, I look at a book recently. I was at my favorite bookstore some time ago. My, my, there's not many bookstores anymore. My new favorite bookstore is Hobby Lobby uh, because they, they have this one rack that has like uh, uh, 25 books on each side. And th- th- some of the, the worst words I ever hear from my wife is, can we go to Hobby Lobby? Uh, that, that's just, um, and I say, why? why? Why do you want to go to Hobby Lobby? So I want your opinion. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I don't care. That, that's, my, that's my opinion. <laughs> Um, I, said, well, I said, why do you want me to go? So I'm going to go buy a, a knickknack. I looked up in the dictionary the word knickknack. You know what the word knickknack means? A small, worthless object. <laughs> Hobby Lobby is a store filled with small, worthless objects. That's what it is. And so we were there one time, and she, she brought me these, she brought these two balls. They're but grapefruit-sized balls. She said, which one do you like best? I, I, I played basketball, baseball, and soccer on the college level. I'd never seen balls like that. I said, are, are, are there rules? Is there a bat? Is there a goal? What, what, what do you do with those? What, I said, what do you do with them? She said, you look at them. It's kind of like that non-functional soap you have in the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about? It comes in shells and stuff. You don't, you don't, don't touch it. it. What is it? Soap, but don't touch it. Non-functional. But anyway, so I said, what, 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 I said, where are you going to put these balls? She said, well, you know that shelf by the TV? I said, no. Why would I look at a shelf? The TV's on. I'm not going to look at a shelf. So I'm, I'm going I'm to get a basket. Oh, great. Now we've got to buy a basket, too. I'm going to get a basket, and you put them in there to look at. Hey, where, how did I get off on that? Oh, yeah. Okay, the bookstore. Okay, I, I was at the bookstore, and, and she was out buying some small worthless object, and, and I, I picked up a book by Louis Gigaleo on the, on the, on the rack, and, and it's, uh, the title of the book is Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And I, I read half the book because she was there a long time. But anyway, and it saves money on books too. But anyway, um, and the, the premise of the book was he had gone through a situation where um, somebody had done something to him and, and, uh, and some new information had come out. So he wrote a scathing letter to this guy and sent it to a friend and said, I'm, I'm going to send this letter. What do you think? And his friend wrote back and said, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And it's from the, the 23rd Psalm. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I've never thought about this. Here we are, we're in the battle, we're in the presence of our enemies, and God sets a table. And he says, okay, now I'm going to tell you now how I want you to respond to your enemy. And so we're having a conversation with God in the presence of our enemy. You know what we do? We say, God, that, that's a great idea. Satan, why don't you get, have a seat here? Give me your advice. 
What do you think about this? Should, shouldn't, don't I have the right to get mad? And we are giving the enemy a seat at our table. When we do things like that, when we, when we respond in anger, and, and it's a great book, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. God has prepared a table. He's giving you advice. Follow his direction. Don't do what the enemy says. And when you make choices based on the input of your flesh or the input of the enemy, how foolish is that? And when you do that, you give the devil an opportunity. You know, maybe you say to him, this probably isn't that bad. Maybe I should uh, go ahead and watch this anyway. Are you, are you going places, doing things, saying things that you know you've opened the door to the enemy? You need to tell God about that. You need to confess that. Maybe someone else's bad choice has affected you. Maybe your parents' divorce has caused bitterness in your heart. Maybe your husband's poor financial decision or investment has caused pressure on you and you're holding bitterness towards someone else about their poor choices. Then what should you do? You need to forgive them. Not just once, but choose again and again. I've heard that when children are little, they step on your toes. When they get older, they step on your heart. Don't get bitter at your children for their wrong choices. I, I, I have to deal with this with some of the wrong choices of my children. And, and I, I, am, I walk the, the edge of bitterness constantly because their wrong choices affect us. And another person's wrong choices may have a catastrophic effect on your life. And you can get bitter about that. And you have to choose to say thank you. Not, not that you're glad they made wrong choices, But you have to say, thank you that God is in charge. I trust you. I'm going to stay in this rough water, even though my child is making choices that are are tremendously hurtful to them and hurtful to us. By the way, let me me share this with you. This is rabbit trail, but it's all right. Um, I I found that there there are four things that determine the outcome of the child. This is worth writing down. Because some of us as parents live in guilt about the wrong choices of our adult children. As a parent, you're not responsible for the choices of your adult children. I'm an adult, I think. I, I make wrong choices. Why would it surprise me my kids make wrong choices? There are four things that determine the outcome of a child. The first is nature. They're born with a sin nature. Now, God comes in, and, and they may become a follower of Christ, but they still have propensities. Secondly is nurture. That's your job. Bring them up in the nurture, admonition of the Lord. Thirdly is their choices. We are all a result of our choices. You can choose your choices, but you can't choose the consequences of your choices. Nature, nurture, choices, and fourthly, it's all overshadowed by the grace of God. Now, here's what I've learned by that. As a parent, you're 25% responsible for the outcome of your child. Most, kid, most parents, when their child makes a wrong choice, they take it all on themselves. What did I do? I failed. I'm wrong. You're, you're, you're 25% responsible. You, you should take some responsibility. If you did some things wrong, ask forgiveness. But ultimately, don't, you're, you're not 100% responsible for all those wrong choices. And I've been sharing this with people the last couple of years, and, and many parents have come and said, I'm, I'm so relieved because I, I've just lived in the guilt of the wrong choices of my child. Take responsibility for your part. But the, the reality is, they are going to be a result of the choices that they have made. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Okay, here's the fourth one. I've got to hurry. Number, number uh, 20, verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no more. Let him labor, performing with his hands that which is good, and have something to share with those who have need. So, so, so fourthly, the Bible talks about stealing. So as you look at that little card, are there people, I, I could give you a hundred, a thousand illustrations. I've been doing this for a long time. I could give you a thousand illustrations of people who've stolen things and had to take them back. 
And, and some of you have wronged someone. You took something from somebody that doesn't belong to you. Take it back. It, it, I, I was, a, I was a, a pastor in, in California, and he came for his church. He said, I had to go to Taco Bell this week and ask forgiveness because for the last year, I've been stealing napkins. He said, we eat there once a week, and every week when we leave, I take a stack. There's no science how many you can have, so I take enough to last for the week. So for the last year, we've not had to buy napkins. Taco Bell supplies our napkins. Now, technically, it's not stealing, but he said, I realize they're not giving you napkins to take so you can manage your household with. I went back to Taco Bell and said, for the last year, I've been stealing from you. And I got a check here. I don't know how much, but I'm going to write a year's worth of napkins from Taco Bell. He said, that is so silly. That is such a small little thing. You know what I would do if I was the devil? That's not an announcement. But, but if I was the devil, here's what I would do. I would get you to commit a sin so small you wouldn't deal with it, but so big I could eat your lunch with it. What is it that you have, what you've stolen and you've got stuff in your room that does not belong to you? And, and, or on the flip side, what has someone stolen from you? And you've gotten bitter about it. They wronged you financially. They didn't give you what you thought you deserved or they didn't pay what they were supposed to pay. And some of us are living in bitterness because someone stole something from us and we're mad about it. Maybe someone stole your purity and you've been bitter about that for years. It's not gonna change. And you don't just say, God, thank you once, but you start by thanking God. Maybe someone stole the purity of your child or the purity of your mate. It's not gonna change. The circumstances are gonna change. But your spirit can change. Your attitude can change. Your forgiveness can change. Here's the next one. It says in verse 29, this is a, this is a, a verse, again, we learned, used a lot with our kids because they, when they got angry or said things, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Well, that word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear it. Are, are, are there words you wish you could have said, I wish you could have taken back that you've said? You said it and said, oh, why did I say that? Man, I, I have hit the rewind button? Have you gone back and asked forgiveness from those people for those words you said? Have you done that? I was in a, in a meeting in, in, in Florida and I'd gotten some shoes from um, in Michigan here and we were in a meeting there and, and the shoe was coming apart at the seam. And so I, I, um, I went to this mall in, in, the, in, in uh, West Hollywood, Florida, went to this mall, went to the shoe store and I said, I don't have a receipt but here's the shoe, it's coming apart at the seam. Um, I'd like to get a new pair. It's your brand. You can see right here. It's not been worn. I showed on the bottom and uh, much. And, and, and can you give me a new pair? And they, they said, well, and they had all kinds of reasons to, why they couldn't do that. There was two guys in there and they were not helpful. They were not kind. And, and uh, I knew they should have returned their, and, and they didn't. And I, I walked out of that, that store. I sucked up all the righteous indignation. That's another word for anger. And I said, you guys haven't heard the last of this. You've not honored your guarantee. I've gotten your names, which I hadn't. I'm, I'm going to write a letter to the president of your company. You haven't heard the last of this. I walked out of that store. I felt like I'd done the world a favor. We uh, finished that meeting. went across state to Sarasota, Florida, our next meeting. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm in that meeting. I'm walking through the church one day. And, you know, God followed me. He lives inside of me. And, and I, I was so guilty about just what I had said and how I would communicated to them. And I, I, I went to a, a room in the church and I said, okay, God, you are so right. I, my attitude is not right. Um, I'm, I'm, I was wrong. And, and God, if, if you'd make it possible for me to go back and ask forgiveness, I would, but never see him again. But, but you know, I, I, I would. But, you know, I, I walked out of that room, thought, okay, I'll never see him again. That's fine. A couple of days later, I got a phone call from uh, this church had a large Christian school and they, the, 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 um, 
headmaster called me and said, our graduation speaker canceled, and the students were wondering if, if you could come back and speak at graduation. I said, when is it? Like it was two months down the road, and I said, I'm going to be in this part of the country. They said, we'll fly you in. Without thinking, I said yes. Hung up with the phone and realized what a dumb thing I had just done. Put myself back in West Hollywood. So the months passed. I caught the plane, flew to Florida. He picked me up. I said to him, there's probably all kinds of malls around here. He said, nope, only one. You want to stop? No. I said, uh, um, it's probably out of what? He said, we drive right past. You want to stop? It, we, we probably don't have time. He said, we got lots of time. I, I wanted to say, would you quit being so helpful? You know? But, but I, <laughs> I didn't. I said, well, I, I need to stop. So I said, let's be a minute. So I went in this mall, and there was, uh, there was, you know, this was a Saturday, and that was a weekday. I thought, these guys aren't going to be there. They probably got fired. There's such bad employees. Anyway, and so I, I, I walked in the, in the store. There was nobody there except those same two guys. And I said, I was here a couple months ago. I tried to return some shoes. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. And my attitude, my language, my conversation, I didn't swear at him, but might as well have. And, and I, I just, it was not Christ-like. And, and um, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't think I needed to do this because they didn't know I was a Christian. I didn't act like one. So, so they, they didn't, you know, but, but God wouldn't let, let me through with this. And I, and I said, will you please forgive me for that? Now listen, that was not for their sake. That was for my sake. And sometimes the things that you've got to do in asking forgiveness where, where you have said things and done things, it's because God is going to use that in ways that, that you don't even know. I was in a meeting uh, in, in Illinois not too long ago, and, and I, I'd shared some of these things, and, and there was a man sitting in the, in the back row, and he, he came to me afterwards, and he said, you know, I'm sitting there in the service, and, and I'm thinking about, he said, I've, I've been, I was divorced 13 years ago. And it was just horrible. My wife, we just fought, and I said, I said horrible things. And a year later, I got remarried. I've been married to my current wife for 12 years. We come to church here now. And he said, I'm sitting there in the back, and, and the Spirit of God, you're sitting there telling me I need to go back to that woman and, and ask forgiveness. And my, my current wife elbows me and says, what? She said, you know who you need to go to? I said, who? Your first wife. He's, now you're telling me, the Holy Spirit's telling me, my wife's telling me, and I'm sitting there saying, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. But I, I had not seen her in 12 years. I, didn't, I wasn't even sure where she was at. I said, I said God, I, I don't know where she's at, but if you make it possible, I will ask her to forgive me. He said, Steve, I got up from my seat, turned around, and there she stood in the aisle. She just sat through the same service I just listened to. I said, well, did you ask her forgiveness? He said, no, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was just shocked. Now, now the, the next day he went and did that. But I, all I'm saying is you'll be amazed at what God will do if you will make a commitment to say, God, I'm gonna deal with this. I'm gonna make this thing right. Have you ever been crushed by someone's words? You say, well, I'll forgive them when they ask. Aren't you glad God didn't say to you, you can get saved when you become perfect. When, when you get perfect, then I'll send my son to die. No, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, so what, are, what are the words that need to be said? There, there are three things every child wants to hear their parents say. This is worth writing down. Three things, and this may be, if you get nothing else, go home and do this today. Everything a child wants to hear, three things. Number one, I love you. Our kids want us here to say that. We don't say it very often. We need to. Number two, I'm proud of you. We're afraid if we say it that we'll spoil them. I love you. I'm proud of you. And here's what I want to hear you say. I was wrong. Every child wants to hear it. They, they know you're wrong. You know you're wrong. But you think you're going to lose some respect by saying it. And the fact is you've lost respect by not saying it. If you do nothing else today but go home and call your kids and give them and say, I love you, here's why. I'm proud of you, here's why. I was wrong, here's how. This, this will be worth your time. Here, here's the, the, the last one here. Um, verse number 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. I'm going to add that one to wrong choices. It's always a bad decision to open the door to the enemy or to close the door on the Holy Spirit. When he prompts you, when he gives you direction, it's, it's always wrong to, to, to not listen to what he has to say. So then, we already read these verses now, so here comes the solution. What, what is the solution that I can do now to refuel right relationships? Stop hurting people. Stop hurting people. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another. Ask forgiveness. Be kind and tenderhearted. It, it, the answer is so easy. We, we know these verses. We know these words. The solution is there. And, and, and then he goes on and says, forgive one another, even as God in Christ's sake forgive, has forgiven you. Stop hurting people. Ask forgiveness. Choose to forgive those who have hurt you. It's, it's simple math, but we don't do it. We, we say, well, you say, I've not done anything wrong. That the evidence may be that you have a hard heart and can't even see that. Listen, bitterness is assuming a right you don't have. You have no right to get bitter. And forgiveness is, 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 is obeying a command that you have no right to disregard. Look at that again. Bitterness is assuming a right you don't have. And giving forgiveness is obeying a command you have no right to disregard. So, so are you going to do that? I was in a meeting a few months ago. There was a gal in this church. She put this on Facebook. A little background, 20 years earlier, her father had been murdered. And the man who had murdered her father was coming up for parole after 20 years. She says this, The faction came in strong again, leaving my heart a lot lighter than it did four days ago. The four-night conference couldn't happen at a better time. Beginning of 2023 brought growing pains. I've made some big choices that I've needed to make. Two nights, in the two nights ago in the conference, Steve Canfield did a talk on bitterness. As soon as I saw where the service was headed, I, I started feeling closed. I, I quickly texted one of my besties and, and was like, give me a good excuse to get out of here. To which the response was, I really think you should stay and just listen. So I did. As I listened, I heard how bitterness is an atomic bomb wanting to, waiting to explode. How it's assuming a right we don't have. How we can spend our lives camped out at her corner or choose to turn into a freedom of forgiveness highway. Then came the statement that shook my heart. Bitterness is bitterness at God, not people. When I got home that night, I sat in my car for what seemed like forever. I just sat there in complete silence and that statement rattled around in the cold parts of my heart. You see, just last week I received a letter I knew was coming, but I was relieved every day that it wasn't in the mailbox. The man who took my daddy's life, his parole date was officially scheduled for early March. This time it seemed as the bitterness set in double. This time is more evident than ever. I was, it was spilling over into my daily life from sleepless nights, shortness with the ones I love, and complete inability to handle the smallest inconveniences without outrageous irritation. As I thought back over the last 20 years, I remembered how I'd been graciously blessed with even in the midst of the absence of my daddy starting with a papa who put his own life on hold to raise a little girl. A little girl that certainly gave him a run for his money. Nevertheless, he didn't allow that to keep him from loving me. An aunt and uncle who, who seen to it I've never gotten to miss out on the big memory maker moments in life. A fourth grade teacher chose to stick with me through the weeds and flowery fields of life. I've seen God's love and provision through members of our church. So I'm taking all this consideration 
How could I ever actively choose to be bitter at God? When he took the situation that started out as ashes and turned them into beauty, it quickly became clear as to what I needed to do as the next step. So two days ago, I started praying for the man whose actions changed the course of my family. And I'll continue to do so, however long it takes. I have a long way to go on this mighty journey. I know that. But now I can be at peace with the decision of the parole board. As long as I'm willing to take a step back and let God be God. I'm so immensely thankful for these past days and for the word of God where I've been headed what God has been showing me, thanks to life action, it is well with my soul. I, I don't know. I hope that can be your testimony. So you have that little card there. Make a list. Who do you need to choose to forgive? Not just one time. 70 times seven. And, and I will ask so-and-so, make a list of the people you need to go and write their name down. Check it off when you've done it. I want to challenge you with two quick things. Also, it, it's helpful if you go to someone else and say, I need to take care of this. Would you hold me accountable? There, there, you, that's what the body of Christ is for. There are people here right now that you could just go and say, I've got to do this. Would you, would you hold me accountable to this? And then one last thing. I, I think it's important for us to make some commitments to prepare for future hurt. Because I'd like to say to you, you're never going to have to deal with this again. But, but that's not the story. That's not the situation. You're, you're going to get hurt in the future. And so, so here's how you take care of that. I heard the story of a former undersecretary of defense. He was giving a, a lecture at a large conference. And he took the stage and he was talking and sharing his prepared remarks with the audience. As, as he did, he paused to take a sip out of a styrofoam cup that was there on the stage. He kind of interrupted his own talk and he said, you know, last year I spoke at this conference and I was the undersecretary of defense. In the year previous, there had been a change of presidents and so there was a new secretary, new undersecretary. And the secretary of defense, I mean, the defense budget is like $750 billion or something. It's a pretty significant place. He said, last year I was the Undersecretary of Defense and, and, and I was speaking at this conference and when I got to the airport, someone greeted me. They put me in a limousine. They, they, they took me to the hotel where they'd already checked me in. They carried my bags up to my room. He said, the next morning I, I came down the lobby and someone was there to greet me and they put me in a limousine. They, they took me back to the green room and they gave me a nice hot steaming cup of coffee and a beautiful ceramic mug. He said, this year... I'm no longer the Undersecretary of Defense. I didn't fly first class, I flew coach. When I got here, no one was here to greet me. I had to catch a taxi. I got to the motel, I had to stand in line to check in and carry my bags into my room. I got down here this morning, no one's there to greet me. I, I, I caught an Uber and I, I was dropped off at the front of the conference center. I had to weave my way through the, the crowds and find my way to the back. And I said to one of the guys, is, is there any coffee? Yeah, there's some over there in, by those styrofoam cups. He said, it just dawned on me that everything I got last year was not meant for me. 
It was meant for the position that I held. Now I don't hold that position. He said, some of you, he said, this may be the most important thing you hear. He said, there's going to be a time in your life where all those perks, all the things you're enjoying are going to be gone because they weren't meant for you. They're meant for the position you held. He said, all I deserve is a styrofoam cup. If you can keep that perspective, you got to go home and get a styrofoam cup, write your name on it, put it on your desk. This is all I deserve. Because the reason we get hurt and bitter is because we think, well, they should treat me different. They shouldn't have done that to me. They shouldn't have hurt me like this. Jesus Christ came, the God of the universe, in the form of a human being, a styrofoam cup. You know what they did to him? (laughs) Why would I expect anything less? And if you can keep that perspective in the days ahead, then you won't have to experience the hurt maybe you've experienced in the past. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I, I don't know the names you've written down. I don't know your story. But I, I pray just take a moment and say, God, by your grace, I'm gonna take that step of choosing to forgive. I'm gonna go back to the people that are on my list. I'm gonna ask them to forgive me. I'm gonna choose not just one time, but 70 times seven, every time the thought comes to thank you for that person or for that event, for that situation. And God, by your grace, I'm gonna remember you're God, I'm not, I'm okay with that. And all I deserve is a styrofoam cup. Father, I don't know the particulars of the stories in this room, but you know every one of them. And I pray that the things that we've been reminded of would not be, if what I've said is wrong, help it to be forgotten. But whatever needs to be internalized and acted upon, would you give us grace to do that and to choose 70 times seven? Thank you that your forgiveness has put our sin as far as the east is from the west. You choose to remember it not against us anymore. Help us to be ambassadors, to be Christ-like, to be real followers of you and do the same. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.